What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats. It is Friday. We are one day closer to the All-Star Game. Couple storylines for you. Shohei Otani is just unbelievable. The Mariners and the Orioles, they can't lose. Yesterday, I did top five All-Star Game jerseys of all time. Today, I'm going to do bottom five All-Star Game jerseys of all time. Also, joined by White Sox beat writer. Talk a little bit of White Sox baseball what they're doing this year, all-star game players for them. Trivia at the end, this one is gonna be a blast. Let's get to it. It's a blowout, eighth inning, 10-3. Bases are loaded for Verlander, who waits out of the real pitch. He swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field, it is gone, home run. And a huge bat flip to celebrate. All right, Ben, start the show already. What's up, my friends? What a what a week this has been. A lot has been disclosed about the All-Star Game coming up. We pretty much know the field. We pretty much know the home run derby field, except for one player. So I'm going to get to that in a minute as well. But I have to start with Shohei Otani. And this isn't the typical Shohei Otani news segment, but this is an emergency Shohei Otani update, my friend. What he did on the mound in his last outing, and he tripled home two runs. He just continues to make history, and I am going to continue to talk about it. So let's get to it, and let's just break down what happened on the mound Wednesday night. Six innings, 12 strikeouts, one earned run, which is nothing, but it is his first earned run in 31 and two-thirds innings. He didn't give up a run for over 30 innings. It is unbelievable. And he punched out 12 guys, again, striking out double digits. And oh, by the way, he tripled in the game, tripled home two runs, which was enough to win the game for him. His last couple of outings, he has drove in enough runs to single-handedly win his team the game. He is now 6-0 and in his last six starts, a team that just unfortunately hasn't been very good, is not losing when he is on the mound. He now leads all of Major League Baseball, every single player that has played this year in Fangraph's war at 4.8. He is the Major League leader in Fangraph's war. I tweeted this out Wednesday night. I wish people would stop arguing against Shohei Otani for MVP and just appreciate what we are seeing while it's happening. How long can this happen? Who knows? But soak it all in while it is happening. We've never seen this before, and there's a good chance we never see it again. There are no words. There are no adjectives to describe any longer what we are watching with Shohei Otani. This is, this is Muhammad Ali in his prime. This is Michael Jordan in his prime. This is Billie Jean King in her prime. Bo Jackson in his prime. It's unbelievable. Now, many of those, other than Bo Jackson, had the long-term storied career, which just added more and more to their legacy. So I'm not comparing right now Shohei Otani to the greatest basketball player or the greatest boxer or the greatest tennis player or the biggest freak athlete, Bo, Bo Jackson, although that is a good comparison, those two, because those people did it throughout 
a long, long career. But the last two-year stretch that we have seen from Shohei Otani, we have never seen it before. This is the greatest two-year stretch we have ever seen from a baseball player. So it is by no means a stretch to compare this two years to the, the greatest of all time in their respective sports. And if only Shohei can continue to do this for however many years. If he does this for his career, he'll be the greatest baseball player to ever live. But I'm not ready to put him on the same conversation as a Michael Jordan because he's done it for two years as opposed to however long MJ's career was, which was absolutely remarkable. But, but here we are again on after another dominant start, which just again puts him in more and more historic territory. Listen to this. In his last six starts, he is 6-0, 39 and two-thirds innings, 20 hits given up, two earned runs, 58 strikeouts to 11 walks, a 146 opponent batting average. 146. He's also hitting in those six starts, 364 at the plate with a homer and six RBIs. Since that first game, so in his last 29 games, he's hitting 287 with eight home runs at the plate. Not even talking about what he's doing on the pitching side. He's doing it at the plate as well. The Angels are 6-1 and one since the start of June when Shohei is on the mound. 6-1 and one when Shohei's on the mound. They are 6-26 and 26 when anyone else starts. And his last six starts, he's 6-0. and up. How do you have more value? You want to talk about MVP. You want to talk about most valuable player. And you want to point to his team not being great. How can you find more value when a player is on a team that isn't performing great but every time he takes the mound, they are winning. This isn't basketball. This isn't football where a quarterback can control the game. This is baseball. You have one player trying to be the best he can. Well, when Shohei is that one player, when he's just hitting, the team is struggling to win baseball games. Well, when Shohei morphs into his two-way player world and he becomes two players on one night, they aren't losing. They've won six times in a row that they've done that. It's remarkable. Now Shohei becomes the second pitcher in Angels history to record 10-plus strikeouts in four consecutive appearances. Only the second pitcher in the history of the Angels. The other one, a guy named Nolan Ryan. (laughs) Unbelievable. Nolan Ryan did that six times. But Shohei now joins just Nolan Ryan in that category. He's also the sixth player to have at least 45 strikeouts and one or fewer earned runs over a four-game span since earned runs became official in 1913. Only the sixth player ever. And I love having these conversations because this is just talking about pitching. We're not even talking about how he does two things. He's a two-way player. This is just pitching. That list of one earned run or fewer over a four-game span, he joins Jacob deGrom, Randy Johnson, Clayton Kershaw, Pedro Martinez, and Chris Sale. 50-plus strikeouts and one or zero earned runs in a five-outing span. Shohei also joins that list. Please, This list is unbelievable. Since 1997, 1997, Randy Johnson did it. 2012, R.A. Dickey. 
2014, Clayton Kershaw. 2015, Clayton Kershaw. 2018, Chris Sale. And 2022, Shohei Otani. You know, when people use the MVP argument, when we talk about MVP, people like to use Shohei as a hitter and talk about his stats and then look at him as a pitcher and go from there. They kind of break the two up. They use him as a pitcher and a hitter, but they separate them. That is the value of Shohei Otani. You don't separate the two. He is one. And a lot of people, I think, can't grasp that you don't separate the two. Shohei Otani's value comes because he is pitching at a Cy Young caliber on one side and hitting uh, almost 20 home runs at the break on the other side. You morph those all together and you have the greatest player in baseball and the most valuable player. There is nobody more valuable than Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani over these last 34 games, pitching 0.45 ERA. This is over 34 days, okay? So over a month, a .45 ERA, 58 strikeouts, 11 walks, 39 and two-thirds innings, 287 batting average, 604 OPS, eight homers, 29 games, six innings of one-run ball with 12 strikeouts against the Astros tonight. This was tweeted on Wednesday night. He also tripled in that game. It is remarkable. In my opinion, the MVP conversation is a short one at this point. As long as Shohei Otani is in the league and healthy and doing anything remotely close to what he is doing right now, he's the MVP. Cousin Sal said it very well. Let's press pause on the AL MVP discussion for the next five years. So long as he's healthy, it's Shohei Otani. It's pretty simple. As long as he is healthy, the MVP is Shohei Otani. This has never happened. It's hard to grasp. But when you can grasp it, you understand the value. What sort of value are you looking for? What, what do you, by most valuable, do you want to talk about the most valuable to a team? That's Shohei. Do you want to talk about the most valuable to the game of baseball? That is clearly Shohei Otani. Value has a lot of different words, and no matter how you look at it, the most valuable player to Major League Baseball, and certainly to the American League, is Shohei Otani. He did all this on Wednesday night in front of Astros manager Dusty Baker, who is also managing the American League in the All-Star game. Game, which, by the way, the American League manager will select his starting pitcher. Dusty Baker had this to say. He's not just an all-star. He's a megastar, one of the top offensive players and one of the top pitchers. And he's smart. I can tell the way he plays the game. He's talented, but he's smart. The lasting impression that Dusty Baker will have before he selects his all-star starting pitcher is perhaps having that starting pitcher pitch right in front of him. He saw up close and personal again how good Shohei is, and I believe at this point, now that he has said, Justin, my brother, will not pitch in the All-Star game, I think there's a very real chance that we see Shohei Otani as the starting pitcher for the American League. We shall see. But as of Thursday, there is a new odds favorite to win the American League MVP award. After I have been clamoring on about he's going to win the AL MVP all year and people yelling at me and saying I'm ridiculous, 
as of today, there is a new leader at pretty much every outlet for the favorite to win AL MVP right now. Shohei Otani at the top, Aaron Judge behind him, Mike Trout, Jordan, and Rafael Devers behind them as well. Those odds according to Fox Bet Live. So he's in the driver's seat now. I know it. We all know it. When it comes to most valuable, it is Shohei. Shohei is incredible, and I just hope that we all appreciate it while we are watching it. All right, I am happy to welcome in now Chicago White Sox insider Scott Merkin to talk a little bit of White Sox, talk a little bit about White Sox All-Stars. We'll see where we go with it. But Scott, thank you so much for joining me. Pleasure to join you. And I'm, I've never seen my name so big on a screen before. It looks kind of <laughs> cool, actually. That's great. Uh, hey, I want to start with, with Tim Anderson. And for the first time in 50 two years the starting al shortstop will be the shortstop of the chicago white Sox. how cool is that how special is that whether he knows that stat or not for tim anderson to be the all-star starter what does that mean to him yeah it means a lot you know i think it's interesting i was just talking to joe McEwing, who is the uh third base coach for the white Sox and does a lot of work with tim anderson and he was telling the story about in 2019, he had a great start to that season, mm-hmm. did not get picked for the all-star team. So at the break, he said to himself, you know what? I'm going to go out and I'm going to win a batting title this year. I'm going to win an AL bat. He actually had the highest average anyone in baseball that year, but he said, no one else can control that. There's no voting. There's no choosing there. <laughs> and he went out and won it. And that just shows you his drive and his talent. You know, I'd, I'd like to say a lot of things, you know, I'd like to I, I can't think of one on top of my head, but I like to, I like to set goals for myself and be that accomplished mm-hmm. in hitting them like he did there. <laughs> but yeah, it, it shows, I think, because, you know, he was hurt for part of this year. He was out a little bit and Bogarts has had great numbers. Bo Bichette had, has had a good year and he was right there in the voting with Tim. And it does show, I think, what his national presence is now, too, that he is more than just kind of, people outside of Chicago know his ability. And really, the honest truth is that you know, Jose Abreu is great. He's an MVP. There's a great pitching staff. There's a great bullpen there. Tim is the igniter. Tim kind of drives that team. When Tim goes, that team goes. And if Tim gets on a run in the second half, that could make a big difference for the team. Well, that's what I was going to ask next is, is how valuable is he to, to a White Sox team that has dealt with a lot of injuries, hasn't played up to their potential this year. Tim Anderson has dealt with some injuries as well. So when he is in that lineup, how valuable is he to the White Sox? Oh, yeah, he's huge. I mean, when he's in there and hitting, and first of all, he's a great. He's really worked hard to become a solid defensive shortstop. So him and Josh Harrison, him and Leori Garcia make a very solid defensive player, defensive combination up the middle. But he's the guy who gets things going. And he's almost, when he's on his game, he's kind of like an artist with the bat. You know, he doesn't try to do too much. They pitch him away. He takes the ball you know, to right field and settles for a hit or gets a double. He can run the bases very well. He's a good base dealer. He's, I think, four home runs short of 100 home runs and 100 stolen bases for his career. So, yeah, he is the guy that drives it. There may be other guys who will end up with loftier numbers or gaudier numbers by the end of the 2022 season. But Tim Anderson is the one. They have a stat. Of, I don't have it in front of me, the Sox, but they have an incredible record when he plays, he gets a hit, you know, he scores a run. And yeah. I think they're like, 28 and three when he hits a home run. So you got to break it down to that, that smallest particle of everything. So yeah, to, to answer your question shortly, it's, it's, 
He's a, a huge force that he and very important. He does it all on the field, as you said. He also has a flair for the dramatic, as we saw last year at the does. Field of Dreams when he yes. hit a ball into the cornfields and sent everybody home and the fireworks going off. He is he is truly incredible and does it all. Uh, another White Sox player. Uh, this one hurts for me. I'm a big fan of his, and he was snubbed from the All-Star game. At least to this point, Dylan right. Cease is not an All-Star and wasn't named to the team. Obviously, he could be in the coming days. We shall see. But this year, it feels like he has taken another step. He has gone from being a pitcher with really good stuff, figuring it out, to being an elite starter in the game of baseball. How has he taken that step this year? You know, first of all, credit to Rick Hahn and the White Sox front office when they made that trade, which I think was the five-year anniversary, I want to say yesterday, of sending Jose Quintana to the Cubs and getting Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Seesbeck. Eloy Jimenez was the guy in the Futures game. He's the guy hitting home runs there. He's the guy making the running catches in the Futures game. Mm-hmm. He was the well-known international prospect. And they, you know, wanted Cease in that deal too. And they got him and Cease is now top of the rotation guy. You know, first of all, his slider, according to the stat cast, has more swings and misses than anyone in baseball. Robbie Ray is second behind it, but you know, Ethan Katz, their pitching coach, I'm about, that it may be the best pitch in baseball right now. Now I, I assume, you know, there's some people throwing 98 mile an hour fastballs or what Shohei Otani is throwing, you know, whatever yeah. he's out there throwing might be better, but it's it's as good as any pitch. Yep, I agree. And I think you're you're seeing a guy who's feeling more comfortable with himself. It's interesting because in 2020, they were in that, you know, in the abbreviated season. They were in the playoffs against Oakland and it was one, one. And in game three, it should have been his start. He had a rough finish and they went, you know, by committee in that game three and they lost. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking this stuck with me. I remember talking to him after the season and, you know, I expected him to hear him say like, ah, eh, you know, I would have liked to have done it. I could have done a good job. And he said, no, I didn't deserve it. You know, he said, my season was bad. I didn't finish strong. And I, and he tells me, he kind of laughs and says it began before that even, but I think the process of kind of refining his work has picked up since then. And he really is a guy now, you know, they lost that first game of the doubleheader on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Bieber was just phenomenal. Shut him down. Oh my God. Yes, he was much, much consternation. Should they have walked Jose Ramirez, you know, should, or should they pitch to him? What did Tony do there? What did Tony not do there? And it could have really gone sideways fast. It was a four game series against Cleveland. They were down two zero in that one. And Dylan, even I think with less than his perfect stuff on Wednesday, mm-hmm. still got him into the sixth inning, did a great job. And you know, got the win and then they ended up winning Wednesday night against the Guardians. So they ended up splitting. Now, granted, with games coming off the schedule, they need to do better than just break even. But it could have really been a tough option if Dylan hasn't ace that he's been all year for that team. He's a number one guy and just, you know, he trusts his stuff. He trusts the process. I don't think he's worried as much about the mechanics specific because he knows they're under control as just going out there and throwing the baseball and trusting what the game is called and trusting what you have. So Dylan Cease, this is the 73rd pitcher in the history of baseball to have 120 or more strikeouts, a sub 2.50 ERA in 17 or more starts before the all-star break. He's the 73rd ever. The other 72 all made the all-star game every single one. So where does, has he spoken about this? I know obviously he wants to be an all-star, but has he spoken about this or people around the team about disappointment? Maybe that he's not an all-star yet. Oh yeah. They're all disappointed. I mean, Dylan spoke about it, I believe Monday and Dylan's very low key. It's interesting. Dylan told me, and I guess he's told others too. Last week, Tony mentioned to us when we were in Anaheim that, Dylan had done something interesting recently, but he didn't want to say it. It was Dylan to say, 
And apparently Dylan wrote a poem about his the sliders. We have not heard it yet. He said he's going to release it at some point, but he's that kind of interesting character. With that said, yeah, he was definitely disappointed. He wanted to be an all-star. Who wouldn't? And Ethan Katz, their pitching coach, has done a great job with that team, with that staff. He was even more disappointed yesterday. We talked to him yesterday, and he really made kind of a, I don't know, like an impassioned plea that he should be on there. I have to ask you, though, Ben. I mean, the system seems pretty well in place the way it is, right? I think there were just six players picked by the league and five of them were teams that didn't have a player, right. Didn't have a representative. So, I mean, it's hard to argue the player votes with the fan vote, the way they have it set up now, but unfortunately there's going to be snubs every year, right? I mean, there's great guys like yeah. Dylan Cease who hundred percent. I mean, Carlos Rodon should have been on without being an injury. Absolutely. Yet, right? or, 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 or he was, he's phenomenal. He's been unbelievable this year. Throws a complete game and he's throwing 99 in the ninth inning the other day, you know? So, I mean, but I, I don't know what you think, but I think it's, it's, the system is not really as flawed as maybe it was in the past, but unfortunately yeah. there's still, unless you expand the rosters, there's going to be oversight. Yeah. Like a Dylan I mean, I mean the stat, the stats around him are, are remarkable in major league history. Absolutely. The, the pitchers who have struck out 60 plus and allowed three or fewer earned runs in any seven start span, Dylan cease, Chris sale, Pedro Martinez, Johan Santana, Walter Johnson, and Rube Waddell. And he's on that list, and he's not an all-star yet. I'm hopeful he is. It has been announced right. that my brother will not be pitching in the game. So hopefully right. my brother not pitching allows Dylan Cease to get in. <laughs> I think that would be cool. It could be. Uh, I, I, I covered a few of those guys on the list. Not Rube Waddell and uh, Walter Johnson. Though. Never saw that. He <laughs> didn't cover Walter? Uh, all right. I, I missed him by a few years. <laughs> uh, on to another guy, uh, Aloy Jimenez, who you spoke about yes. a little bit. And... Uh, yeah, they acquire him in that same trade as Dylan Cease. He's clearly an important part of this team. He's struggling to stay on the field at times, but when he is in the lineup, his bat is clearly very, very important to this team. So I know he just got injured on Wednesday. Talk a little bit about an update there and, and what he does mean to the team when he's in the lineup. After the game, uh, Tony LaRusso told us in Cleveland that, you know, Lloyd was probably going to get a couple of days off. They didn't think he'd re-injured himself. You know, he hurt himself what looked like season ending, just the way he reacted yeah. and the way we saw him just trying to move the next day in Minnesota, trying to sit down, trying to maneuver. We thought, well, this is, you know, really more bad news for this poor kid, but he had the surgery. You know, I believe it was a tendon behind his right knee there. And he had, he had that repaired and he came back. He fought his way back. He's in very good shape and then hurt himself last night. You know, they didn't specify where it was, but yeah, if you don't want to, I understand that, Sometimes you say the phrase injury prone and it has a bad connotation. Like yeah. he's not working to stay on the field. The kid works his tail off, but the bottom line is he has been hurt a decent amount, you know, over the yeah. last few years. And you can't deny it. That's I'm not, you know, spinning my own take on this. That's the facts in front of it. He hurt himself last year. He hurt himself this year. And he is when he's on his game, like he was the first month when he came back last year, one of the, you know, true pure power hitters yeah. in the game. And you know, Frank Menachino, their hitting coach, has talked about that in, you know, if he's on hitting on everything that he's supposed to be doing, he can be a 300 hitter too. But, you know, the Sox have been a very low home run output team this year, and they need a guy like that in the lineup, but they need him to stay healthy more than anything else, just like the rest of this team. Yeah, there's a lot of stars on this White Sox team, but a guy for me that has flown a little under the radar this year uh, is former number three overall pick, Andrew Vaughn. And he has been really good this year. And, and it seems like he has just taken a step to becoming a force on this White Sox team that is full of stars. He's kind of flying under the radar. But talk about how he's been able to put together the year he has so far. He's been really good. 
Yeah, think about what he went through last year. And I don't mean went through, but had to do. So last year, Eloy hurt himself in the last week of spring training, jumping for a ball that was a little bit over the fence at Camelback Ranch. And he tore his bicep tendons, bicep tendon in his left arm and had to have surgery. So Andrew Vaughn, who only had played the outfield at the alternate site in Schaumburg the year before during the pandemic season, then had to learn the outfield on the fly and became (laughs) the left fielder and still had a great year. And then he had a, he had a really rough final month where I think he kind of hit, I, I interviewed him, you know, not too long ago, we were in Boston and he talked about that. He really did feel exhausted by the end, you know, not just playing the full season, but also he had never played the outfield before. He had never run around like that, chasing, you know, fly balls, line drives, ground balls, whatever. And I think he, he learned from that and he learned a little bit more about what it takes to get through a season. I mean, he's so young. This is really his, his second full season in baseball. Right. And yeah. just a, a really good hitter, like should be one of those guys when he gets into his prime and he's pretty close to it now, but I mean, really gets the experience under him, 300, you know, 20 to 25, hundred every year and, and an yeah. on base guy too. Good batting eye. I, I think ultimately probably first base or DH is his spot, but man, he even started at second base last year for Kansas city. You know, I, I I'm sorry in Kansas city for the white yeah. Sox. white Sox aren't giving up to Kansas city. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he, he's taking ground balls at third, he can play a little bit ever, but I think, you know, if push come to shove, it'd be first base or DH. And right now they have a pretty good player over at first base in Jose Abreu. Yeah, he is pretty good. So I have to ask you, and, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, or ask you anything and, and make you tell me an answer, but this White right. Sox team, it's no secret. It is a fact. They are underperforming this year and they are under 500 and hopefully going to turn it around, but there have been and continue to be lots of rumbles about Tony La Russa and his job and whether it is secure, whether he's gone, whatever it may be, where does that stand? Is he going to be the manager for the, the white Sox throughout the year? Or is the seat, is the seat hot and he's got to figure it out right now. I would be stunned if he doesn't manage the rest of the season out. And I think if he doesn't, it's probably his call that he, you know, wants to walk away. And that does not strike me as something Tony Lewis would do from the two years. I've gotten to know him better. Mm-hmm. And I barely really knew him. I maybe interviewed him two or three times before he came back to the Sox. but I just interviewed him when, again, when the team was in Anaheim, asked him if he was having fun and he gave me a defiant hell. Yeah. You know, a little, little, little Steve Austin, don't call Steve Austin there, but he, yeah, he, he was having a, he's still enjoying himself. Now, granted it's tough. And, and I think one of the things that people talk about is lack of energy lack of urgency. But as you know, when a team is not hitting and for most of the season, this team has not hit to the Snowball level that people effect. are used to. Yeah. It looks like, you know, there's no energy, but it's just, you, you're not manifesting anything on the base pass, right? Yeah. You're not getting anything going. So it's hard to have kind of energy on that. And people complain about, well, you know, bad defense or fundamental mistakes, but I think you can probably test this too. It's not really a, a teaching league unless you're going through a rebuild where you have nothing but <laughs> right. really young players. You know, I, I think, that's what the minor Jose leagues Abreu, is for. You don't see right. it much at the big league level. Jose Abreu and Yasmani Grandal. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, they, I'm just picking a couple of like really accomplished veterans. They rely on coaches to talk to them and say, well, we see this and this, this could be better. But I don't think they need to be taught things. They just need to do them, right? So I think the manager is important in kind of setting the tone and kind of, you know, running the feel of the team. But I think it's, it's really a player's league. The players yeah. have got to play. And I, I really believe he now, again, if we talk and they go and four Minnesota, I mean, that's going to be a little different look. Then they're going to be nine games out of first with 70 games left in the second yeah. half. So I, I still think though, he's there. You know, he has one more year after this year. 
but I, I would be stunned, absolutely stunned. And you can have me back on and I would cop to it <laughs> if he's not there throughout the 2022 season. Okay. Last one for you before I let you go. Sure. Um, we are a few weeks away, a month away from the trade deadline. This team that is underperforming to this point. What is the plan there? Is it kind of, we're going to wait last possible second and see, are they going to be buyers? Is there a world in which the Chicago White Sox are sellers? What's the plan around the trade deadline? Well, they're in this stretch of 19 straight games against the AL Central. They've done, you know, about 500 baseball, a little below, I think. And they have four in Minnesota. They have the all-star break and then four at home against Cleveland with a doubleheader on that Saturday. And then they go to Colorado for two. So I think you'll know a little more then. But here's the thing with this team all year. Now, unless they, you know, go one way or the other, but this team has been just good enough not to be great this year. Yeah. So every time you say like, you know, they won two against Cleveland and we're pretty impressive in doing so some hard fought wins. You're like, okay, maybe this is the turning point, but we've had like seven of those and they haven't <laughs> happened. They, they've won like four in a row or three in a row, but there's no 10 of 12 or 15 of 20. But with saying that, Kenny Williams, who's the executive vice president, and Rick Hahn, who's the GM, and of course, Jerry Reinsdorf, who's you know the, the owner, the chairman, they want to win. And they know this is the window to win. And they know if they get in, they have a starting staff and they have a bullpen that can that can you know make some noise yeah. in the postseason. I don't know where that, you know, maybe second base, although Josh Harrison has played very well. Maybe right field, they need another left-handed bat would help. Always can add bullpen to help out, oh, you yeah. know, to, to, to bolster a team. But, you know, they have a pretty good roster as it is, so there's not a lot of moves to make. I would be very, I would be equally stunned to see them be sellers. I mean, if somehow it fell off where they got 9, 10, 11 games back, you might see a veteran or two move, but I don't think anyone who has, you know, extended contractual control is going to move off this team in season. Okay. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun bringing you back at some point to talk some more White Sox. Thanks again for joining be me. Be happy. Thanks for having me, Ben. I enjoyed it. Of course. See ya. All right, next up, Ben, we're going to discuss the Mariners and the Orioles. They both have 10-game winning streaks right now, but I honestly don't know who all saw this coming, especially for the Mariners. Nobody. Nobody saw this coming. The Mariners and the Orioles, both double-digit win streaks. I I, got to talk about both these teams. I want to start with the Mariners. The Mariners have been fantastic of late. You know, entering Thursday, we're recording this on a Thursday. They haven't yet played their game tonight. They have been on a 10-game winning streak. They have clawed their way not only into the wildcard conversation, but they're a game and a half out of the top wildcard spot. They're 47 and 42, tied with the Red Sox and the Blue Jays for that the second and third wildcard spots. They're tied with them. They have been fantastic ever since the brawl. Might I add the Angels, this brawl that took place, I think the Angels probably did it to to get a little kick and to kind of push themselves forward. That backfired, and it propelled the Mariners into into the season they are now having. It's it's unbelievable what they're doing. Shannon Dreyer, who we just recently had on the show, tweeted this. A few fun numbers from the Mariners' current streak. Mariners have won seven consecutive series since winning 14 in 2001. So they've won seven consecutive series, and the best that they've ever done is 14 consecutive in 01 when they broke the all-time record for wins. They've also swept three consecutive series for the first time since 2003. Unbelievable what they are doing. According to Fangrass, the Mariners have a 50-50 chance now of making the playoffs. 
June 19th, so a month ago, they were 29 and 39 and had a 5.3% chance of making the playoffs. Fast forward less than a month. That was June 19th. Fast forward less than a month, and they have a 50-50 chance of making the playoffs, according to Fangraphs. That's pretty cool. They've been doing it all over the map. One, Robbie Ray has been fantastic. Friend of the pod from last year. Robbie Ray is a stud. He was a lot of fun, a good interview. He struggled to start the year. Obviously, he did it in Toronto last year, wins the Cy Young Award, gets traded over to or gets picked up and is now with the Mariners. Doesn't have the start to the year he wanted or that anybody expected. But in his last month or so, there hasn't been many better pitchers in the game of baseball. He has been really, really good and a big part of this turnaround for the Mariners. You need you needed Robbie Ray, Robbie Ray to be Robbie Ray, and now he has been. In his last six starts, a 0.91 ERA, four earned in 39 and two-thirds innings, 11 walks compared to 46 strikeouts. When I had Shannon Dreyer on a week or so ago, we talked about that turnaround, and she said literally on the fly, Scott Service came down in the dugout in between innings. Robbie Ray was getting roughed up a little bit in the game, and Scott Service and him had a talk. He went down and said, you got to figure this out. Figured out right now. Robbie Ray on the fly picks up a two-seamer again, starts throwing it, and ever since that that conversation, he has been fantastic. That's an incredible story. That is cool. You're told to figure it out. You look in the mirror, and, and you did just that. You figured it out. Unbelievable. Bob Nightingoat tweeted this. The Mariners would be in the playoffs if the season ended today with their sensational streak. Ten consecutive victories, first time since April 8th, through 17th in 2002. First time since July 27th through September 20th of 2001 that they've won, that they've had three consecutive sweeps. First, well, that was in May 27th through June 5th of 2003. They're doing things right now that we haven't seen the Mariners do in a long, long time. And this is no surprise or no secret, the Mariners have the longest playoff drought in all of American professional sports. That's how long it has been. And we're now at the case where they had a 5% chance of making it a month ago to a 50-50 chance. And before the year started, I said the Mariners will not win the AL West. The Houston Astros will win the AL West, but the Mariners will break the streak. They will end the drought. And here we are. It wasn't starting off great. But now they are rolling. Since June 21st, they're 18 and three, best in baseball. Nine and two at home, best in base, fourth best in baseball. Nine and one on the road, best in baseball. Only team with less than two losses on the road since June 25th, and they have just one blown lead in that time, which is the fewest in baseball. They've been doing it. They've been doing it from everybody. The pitching. They've been doing it on the offensive side. Ty France at first base should be an all-star. Jesse Winker has been picking it up. Julio Rodriguez, the young phenom named to the all-star game, going to participate in the home run derby, which I'll get to here in a minute. But this guy's a stud. This Mariners team is finally coming together. And if you want to point to a date, it was that brawl that took place in L.A. or in Anaheim, and they have just propelled their season forward ever since. They have been fantastic. On the other side of the country. The Baltimore Orioles also double-digit win streak. Who would have seen this coming? The Baltimore Orioles are just a game and a half out of a wild card spot. 
They are a game and a half behind that grouping of the Mariners, the Red Sox, and the Blue Jays. Meaning they're just three or four games out from the top spot in the American League wildcard race. It is so cool what the Orioles are doing right now. Um, do I think if I had to predict right now, do the Baltimore Orioles make the playoffs? I, I, no, but this is still a cool story. It's still incredible. I don't think you would have expected them. In fact, I know the Orioles fans didn't expect them to be here this year. This was the year where you were supposed to see glimpses of the future. I had Cedric Mullins on the show earlier this year, and we talked about that. I said, this team has the writing on the wall to be good, to be really good. How excited are you for the future with guys like Adley Rutschman around the corner? At the time, he wasn't a big leaguer. Grayson Rodriguez coming up. You know, you have John Means, who's injured this year, but Austin Hayes doing what he's doing himself. Cedric Mullins, first 30-30 player in Orioles history last year. And he said, yeah, I'm with you. We're, We're close. We are close to being good. And now, according to Elias, the Orioles have swept three consecutive series for the first time since April 22nd to May 1st of 2005. Their current 10-game winning streak is tied for fifth longest season winning streak in team history. So where can you point to here? With the Mariners team going on their stretch, you can point to the brawl. They had in Anaheim, and ever since, they're 13-2. and Well, for the Orioles, you can point to the call-up of Adley Rutschman, the prize prospect, the best prospect in baseball. And we had been hearing about him for years, it seemed like. And we were just, when can he make, when can he make his debut? Orioles started the season 16-24 and through May 20th. That's a pace for 65-97. and Starting May 21st, they are 24 and 20. That's an 88 and 74 pace, nearly the same record as the last time the Orioles made the playoffs. What happened on May 21st? Well, my friends, that was the day of the Adley Rutschman call up. The Orioles are sitting, as I sit here on Thursday, at 45 wins. Thursday, today, is July 14th. The Orioles reached the 45-win mark last year on September 8th. (laughs) September 8th, they got to 45 wins. Fast forward well less than a year later, they have already reached the 45-win mark before the All-Star break. The AL East division, which is the best division in baseball, since June 11th, the Baltimore Orioles... 21 and 9, the New York Yankees, who are on top of the world and everybody's talking about them and they're on a historic pace, 20 and 10. The Orioles have a better record in that stretch. The Red Sox, 16 and 14, the Rays, 14 and 16, and the Blue Jays, who are now out a starting or their their manager, Charlie Montoyo, gone, are 13 and 19 in that stretch. So since that date, the Baltimore Orioles have been the best team in the best division in baseball. 
So I hear you. Dave Roberts, a month or so ago, said the NLS is the best division in baseball. <laughs> My friend, not so fast, not even close. The AL East is the best division in baseball. And that was right around the time the Orioles started to do what they're doing now. Now it's not even close. Every team in that division is over 500. The Orioles are doing it with the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball at $45.5 million. They also have the lowest payroll for a current 26-man roster at $32.65 million. It's special what the Orioles are doing, and I, and I just love this. And, and, and I say this because it's so good for baseball. It's so good for a fan base. On this show, the day after Adley Rutschman got called up, I sat here and I talked about this is so good for a fan base because it just provides a sense of hope. A fan base that has been craving winning for so many years now, who hadn't even had a month over 500 in years, gets to call up their prize prospect. It presented hope. With that came the hope of the future. Little did we know when I sat there on that day and said that, that the future is now for the Orioles. The future is right in front of us. And we're seeing it without, without the firepower they're going to have for the next few years. Do I believe the Orioles are going to make the playoffs? I do not. Do I believe the Orioles are going to make the playoffs and be in the playoffs for years to come? I do. I believe in this Orioles team. I believe in the core that they have built. Cedric Mullins, John Means, Adley Rutschman, um, Grayson Rodriguez, Trey Mancini, Austin Hayes. You know, there was talk of Trey Mancini getting traded just a couple of weeks ago. Now you hold on to him. Who knows what could happen? I don't know, but the Orioles are rolling. The Seattle Mariners are rolling as well, but this is just a blast to watch. Baltimore Orioles tweeted this. We win 10 games. Twitter glitches. We may or may not have caused a little chaos. That's what's happening right now in baseball. Just a little bit of chaos. And the Baltimore Orioles and the Seattle Mariners are the reason why there is so much chaos. All right, it's time for another list. Yesterday, I did my top five All-Star Game jerseys of all time. Today, I am going to do my worst five All-Star Game jerseys of all time. So I'm going to head on over here to our beautiful wall. And we're going to break down the worst All-Star Game jerseys in history. And there are some really, really bad attempts at All-Star Game jerseys. And we will start at number five, came in 2005. This All-Star Game was in Detroit. The orange, the, the font makes no sense. The, the lines on each side of national and American, it just makes no sense. This jersey... Not great. Detroit was where this All-Star game was. I just wasn't a fan of these at all. Moving on to number four, 2003, this All-Star game was in Chicago, and these are the epitome of blah. These are awful. I mean, I don't even know. They just took a white jersey and just put the words American on it, and there's nothing at all to it. What, what were we doing? What was happening here? Did we just forget that there needed to be jerseys? And then on the day of the Home Run Derby, we were like, oh, man, we got to put something together. Let's do this font on this white jersey and call it. I don't know. It's awful. They're at number four. Moving on to number three. Last year, 2021. What? 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 What was this? I know the All-Star game was supposed to be in Atlanta. It got moved, so maybe a little bit of an excuse there that there wasn't a lot of time to come up with a great design. Um 
they they tried. They sure did something. This is this is an, this is a look here. Um, I don't really know what the point was of there's no colors that like how cool would it have been last year if we get like a purple and black like that color scheme in Colorado have a jersey with the mountains on it and then have American I, put me in charge of these jerseys moving on the second worst all-star game jerseys of all time the year was 2000 the jersey was terrible again just a plain jersey with the word national would it would it we what's this just the, the lettering of the 2000 is just, you know what it looks like? It looks like those things when the, the ball drops down on New Year's Eve and people wear those goggles and it's a two and a zero and then you have your two eyes looking through. That's exa- it looks like they took that and was like, man, this would be great to go on the jersey. I don't know what the thought was here. This is my second worst jersey of all time. And the absolute worst, my number one worst all-star game jersey of all time was in 1998. Green. Where did the green come from? This is hideous. And the other jersey looked nothing like it. They just randomly came out with a green jersey. Mark McGuire is laughing so hard because he's wearing a hideous jersey and he's saying, my massive forearms are going to destroy whoever made me wear this jersey. That's what he's saying there. This is just not a good look. None of these are. 2005 in Detroit, 2003. 2021, 2000, and 1998 wrap up my worst all-star game jerseys of all time. Oh, man. Let's head back over here now. We're going to wrap up with some trivia. All-star game is right around the corner. I got producer Ray out here with me, and we are going to again do some all-star game trivia questions. I did a pretty good job yesterday. I gave myself a B minus, but it easily could have been a B plus. I don't know why I went B minus, but I did. But let's get some trivia going now and see how that goes. I think today you're gonna get an A guaranteed. An A guaranteed. Guaranteed. You heard her. All right, let's do it. So first question is, which current all-star has a nickname Polar Bear? Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo is correct. One for one. One for one. All right, so next question. Why did the 2002 All-Star Game end in a tie? Why did it end in a tie? Yes, why did it end in a tie? Well, they went to extra innings and they ran out of pitchers. That is correct. (laughs) (laughs) You're crushing it today. Thank you. You right. believed in me, and that's what it took. Just, I just need people to believe in me, you know? For sure, for sure. All right, so next question. Which city has hosted, hosted the most all-star games? Mm. Which city has hosted the most all-star games? Okay, so this is going to be a city with probably two teams in it. So Chicago had the first one. New York is an option. I am going to say that the answer is... New York. You're on fire today. Yes! You're on fire. <laughs> New York is correct. All right. Hey, All right. So. Easy there on the on the countdown. Give me a give me a breath to appreciate my <laughs> my my good work right now. <laughs> All right. So next question. Who is the only player to win All-Star Game MVP and World Series MVP in the same year? Oh boy. All-Star Game MVP and World Series MVP in the same year. 
I am going to say that the answer is Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is correct. Oh. <laughs> oh. Aiming for an A go. plus right now, 100%. All right. Wow. So last question. You'll be the trivia king, I think, after this. Man, that was a tough one, too. That was tough. I just, that was a guess, by the way. I just, uh, an educated guess, but a guess. All right, so last question. Which player has the most home runs in a single home run derby? For all the money. (laughs) Josh Hamilton. Josh Hamilton is a good try, but it's not correct. It's Vladdy Jr. Oh, (laughs) no. Yes. You were no. so close. You were so close. No, man. no. <laughs> okay. Well, I am proud of myself and I don't know if anybody else is. I know cameraman John right in front of me is he's celebrated for, Oh, he's shaking his head now. He's mad. I got the last one wrong. Um, I, I will give myself an A for today. I will give myself an A. I will give myself a standard A, not an A plus not an A minus because I did answer a lot of them fast as well. The first, like a, a couple of them I knew off the bat. You get points boosted for that. I just made that really? up. On, I just made that up. But yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I just gave my, yeah, I, I did. So I feel really good about that in A today. And that does it for trivia. This was a lot of fun. Back to back, two good trivia days and back to back, two good shows. This one has been a lot of fun. Stay tuned, my friends. We have. A lot of stuff coming for you revolving around the All-Star Game. Soon, we'll have a draft preview, a futures game preview. We'll have a home run derby preview. We'll have a home run derby post show. We'll have an All-Star Game. We'll have an All-Star Game recap show. So much fun stuff coming. Stay tuned right here at Flippin' Bats Pod. Subscribe wherever you listen, Spotify, Apple, Google, all that good stuff. Rate it five stars as well if you can. Also on all social media, you can keep track there at Flippin' Bats Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and you can watch every episode on YouTube as well. This one has been an absolute blast. I will see you next time on Flippin' Bats. Peace.